children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether it be bond or free. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never Well, today, Dr. Mitchell will begin in Ephesians chapter 6, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 9. And you are listening to the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. Well, here in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul continues on with two other segments of society. First, there's the family composed of children and parents, and Paul points to the fact that the command to obey one's parents carries the promise of well-being now and long life in the future. Well, next is the workplace, composed of slaves and masters. Now this exhorts us to work sincerely as to the Lord, which also carries with it a reward from the Lord. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and we are still, we have just finished, our last lesson, Ephesians chapter 5, the relationship between husbands and wives. We follow along this question of walking in submission the one to the other. You remember, and I, and I don't mind repeating this, we are dealing with the walk of the Christian on earth. And we are to walk in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. We are to walk in the power of a new creation. For well, this new man in Christ is created in righteousness and true holiness, and we, we are new men in Christ. As Corinthians 5 says, we, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then we had in chapter 5, we had to walk in love because God is love. If I'm a child of God, then I will manifest something of that divine love in my life, in your life, if we are Christians. Then we walk in light 
We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Hence, we ought to walk in light. Then we ought to walk in wisdom. We ought to walk carefully. We ought to redeem the time. We ought to understand the will of the Lord. And we ought to be filled with the Spirit. And then we ought to walk in submission. And here we have the relationship between husbands and wives, fathers and children, uh, masters and servants, which leads us into chapter 6. I'm not going to repeat what I've already said on this relationship between husbands and wives, but I do want to continue on this question of walking in submission. Starting in chapter 6, reading the first four verses. As I said a moment ago, we've been dealing with husbands and wives. And again, allow me to say, when the husband uh, walks before God as a Christian, as a member of the body of Christ, they will love their wives even as Christ loved the church. And he made provision for the putting away of sin. He's made provision for our present daily needs. He's made provision for the future. Likewise, um, the husband, uh, he should do this for his wife, is to live for his wife or manifest his love for his wife by, by sacrifice and then by making daily provision for her and then future possibilities. You remember it says in the book of Jude, verse 24, the Lord now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. This is going to be the great joy of our Savior when he returns for his own people and we stand before him conformed to his image. My, what a joy is going to flood the heart of the Savior when you and I come into his presence and are conformed to his image. When the whole body of Christ for which he died will stand before him covered with all the righteousness and beauty and merit of the Savior. My, what a prospect. What a prospect. And if David could say in the 23rd Psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, how much more should we rejoice looking forward to that day when the whole church of Christ will stand in his presence conformed to his image. I see the Lord Jesus in his love for us manifest his love by sacrifice, by caring for us now, and then making provision for the future. So a husband, if he really loves his wife, is going to sacrifice for her, make provision for her needs now, and build for the future. This is what you have in chapter 5. And the wife, when she has a husband like that, of course, is going to submit to her husband, going to obey her husband and uh, everything. Let them be to their own subject, to their own husbands, and will reverence their husband because, that is, she will recognize his place of responsibility and seek as a co-worker with him to glorify God in their lives, in their family, and in their home. This is what God wants for his people. And how glad I am if the man has the place of responsibility, the woman has the place of honor the family. But love is that genuine love should be manifest in both husband and wife. Now when you come to chapter 6, we have this question of parents and children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but to bring them up 
in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now here you have this question of parents and children. You have the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. You remember chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. You have the same thing. Uh, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, do not stir up your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. Uh, when I think of this, I can't help but think, I speak now concerning children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. How do you do that? By obedience, by obedience, which is the first commandment with promise. It may be well with you, you may live long on the earth. What do you hear about children? Whenever I think of this, I remind myself of our Savior. When our Lord was 12 years of age, in the Gospel through Luke, the second chapter, you come to the end of the chapter, our Lord at 12 years of age became a son under the law. That is, he stood upon his own responsibility before God and before men. Yet, he grew in the knowledge, he grew in favor with God and man, in wisdom, knowledge. And then he went back to Nazareth and was subject to his parents. The Savior went back, was subject to his parents. How old was he? Twelve years of age. You know, today, oftentimes, when kids get into the, into the early teens, they begin to feel that they want to be independent. And sometimes, before they're 16, they want to run away from home. And sometimes, they want to rule the roost. And sometimes, they take advantage of their parents, which brings them under the chastening hand of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. They may do things that you don't like, but they're your father. They are your mother. They're your parents. They brought you into the world. They've cared for you. When you were sick, they took care of you. They suckered you. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Notice, this is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? Long life on earth. And in these days of, of lawlessness, days when even at school, I was just reading something the other day in which uh, this quotation was that the teacher in school told the children to disobey their parents. In fact, in some parts of our land, the schools are telling their children to be lawless. They don't use those words, but that's what it amounts to. As long as children are living at home, they ought to be under the laws of that home. I don't care what their age is. They should be under the laws of the home. If they don't like the laws, if they're up in years, when I say when I say up in years, I'm speaking about late, uh, late teens or early 20s, then they, they should take a good look at the thing. But God has promised long life those who are obedient. What about the fathers? You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now the parents, and especially writes to the fathers. Fathers have a responsibility with the children. Don't stir them up. Don't rile them. 
Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't take it out on your kid. You know what I mean by that? You've had a tough day down at the office or the job where you work, and you can't, of course, take it out on the other man, so you come home, and you're irritated. You don't feel too good. Everything's gone wrong. And the boy does something, and you take it out on him. Somebody has said, before you hit your boy, count ten. Be that as it may. You know, I was in a home one time, and I don't interfere as a rule, but I was in a home, staying in this home for two or three weeks, in fact, holding meetings in a city. I knew the family very, very, very well, very close to them. They had a boy and a girl. And you know, the, the, the boy got mad at his sister, and uh, he had picked up the poker, and he hit his sister on the head. Of course, sister cried, screamed. And I ran in and took the poker out of the boy's hand. He was so mad, I think he would have killed his sister. He just lost his temper. The father came running in and saw me with the poker. And I just happened to explain what had happened. And I said, he didn't hurt sister. She was more scared than anything. But he lost his temper. And I had to take that father and, and keep him from, from choking his boy to death. He just lost his temper. Now, this is not Christian. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't stir them up. Don't, get, don't rile them up. And you do before you chasing them. You, you do it in love. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I thank the Lord a thousand times for the fact that I had a mother who licked me about every day. I was one of three boys, and we all got it. Whether we needed it or not, we got it. Like one time I said to my mother, I said, my mother, I didn't do anything. Well, she said, I'm sure there's something you did you didn't get a lick for, so it's coming to you. My mother could take a slipper off and give me a crack with it and have it back on her foot before the first yell got out. That's the kind of a mother to have. She certainly chastened us, but she didn't love. I'll tell you something else. When mother licked us, we never ran to dad. We'd get another one. We always ran to mother, and yet she was the one who had chastened us. See, friend. Discipline and love. Mother never licked the, I don't, I don't suppose I should use the word lick. Mother never disciplined the neighbor's children, but she sure took it out on us. And I've thanked the Lord a thousand times for it. May the Lord have mercy on children that are not disciplined. I don't mean to be brutal, but I do believe if you spare the rod, as Proverbs said, you spoil the child. Now, here's a relationship between fathers and children. And fathers, don't you provoke them to wrath. Don't stir them up. Don't rile them. And I suggest you count ten before you lay this whip on them. Now, the next one are servants and masters. Verse 5, 6. Verse 5, 6 and 7 and 8. Servants, be obedient to your, them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether it be bond or free. Now here is a new motive for service. 
and God will reward you as a servant. You see, servants, remember Paul wrote this in a day when, when they were masters and slaves. The slave was bought off the market, slave market, taken home. We don't have that today, it is true. But there's a principle here I'm going to get. And quite often in Paul's day, in the early centuries of this era, these masters sometimes were very cruel to their slaves. They would beat them up, so on. Now he says, you, you obey your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. I say again, here is a new motive for service. Even though you may working on a, be working on a job and you don't like your boss, you may not like your wages. But you do your job as unto the Lord and the Lord is going to reward you. See? Do it as unto the Lord. The Lord keeps books. And it says in verse 8, the same shall receive of the Lord whether he be bond or whether he be free. Do I preach the word of God and teach the word of God for, for money's sake? If I did, I'd go back to the machine shops. That is, if they would take me. No, we do it as unto the Lord. The Lord keeps the books. See, well, Mr. Mitchell, I can understand that for a man who's in the ministry of the Word of God. But me, I'm only a laborer, or I'm working in an office, or I'm working in a factory, or I'm driving a truck. I don't care what the job is, my friend. Do it as unto the Lord. Don't be lazy. Don't shirk responsibility. It's a sad thing when men of the world dishonor the name of the Lord because of the laziness of some of his children. They try to get away with as least as possible. They want all the money they can get and do as little work as possible. I remember a lady saying, if I were to work in a home for somebody, I'd be the best servant that woman ever had, irrespective of what she paid me. I see we got a new motive for serving for work. We we serve the Lord Christ. And I said again, and the Lord keeps the books. Now let's go down to verse 9. What about the bosses? What about the masters? And you masters, and I think he's talking to Christians now. You masters, do the same things unto them. Forbearing, threatening. Forbearing, threatening. Knowing that your master also is in heaven. And there's no respective persons with him. <laughs> I should say not. You know, whether you're a boss or whether you're a servant. As far as God's concerned, if I'm going to be a servant, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. If I'm a boss, if I'm the master, or if I'm the one in charge of it's my business, I'm going to do my business as unto the Lord. I'm going to treat my employees as unto the Lord. 
The Lord makes no difference. The man who owns the place, the man who is the boss, he's got a place of responsibility, not only in his work. I'm talking about Christian men. Now remember, I'm talking about Christian men, not the man of the world, Christian men. He should run his business as unto the Lord. He's got to take care of his, of his employees as unto the Lord. Now I guarantee one thing, he'll do the right thing. He does it for the Lord. He's going to do the right thing. And you, you fellows who work for somebody, especially you work for a Christian man, you do it as unto the Lord. I'm sorry to say sometimes Christians, because they're working for another Christian, uh, try to get away with things. They take advantage of the boss being a Christian. That's not right. You are to serve as unto the Lord. You'll be the best man your boss has ever had on the job. But he doesn't pay me enough. Never mind. When you hire it out, you hire it out for so much per hour, so much per day, or so much per month. That's okay. That's okay. If you don't like your wages, quit. But you serve the Lord. And the Lord keeps the books. The Lord, in his own time, will make it up to you. God is never going to be in your debt. Did you hear what I said? God will never be in your debt. And if you are working as unto the Lord, whatever your job may be, God will see to it that you'll be rewarded. And he's always on time. And he always does it at the right time, at the right place. God will never be in your debt. You keep this in your mind. I've had people say, well, I gave the Lord so much and I put so much into this, but maybe you're dead. But the Lord's not in your debt. Whatever you have, you receive from the Lord. And God puts you where you are. You say, well, I don't like my job. Or you might say, I, I like my job and I'm satisfied with my wages, but I'm the only Christian in the shop and I think maybe I like a job where there are other Christians. Well, supposing you quit, then there's no Christian testimony in the shop. No, God puts us there, friend. He knows his business. God knows his own business. And when you and I accepted the Savior, we're not only his children, but we're workers together with God, and he puts us just where he wants us to be. And he gifts us to do a job that he wants done. We do our job as unto the Lord. You know, Paul could write to the Philippian church on this question of giving, for example. He says, not that I need it, but I want it to abound to your account in the glory. Again, I say God is a good bookkeeper. And he takes care of these things. And so we have in this great passage the relationship between husbands and wives, between fathers and children, and between servants and masters. You see, in it all, in all of it, the main thing is we love the Savior. This is first. And then we love those who are the object of our love, which is manifested by sacrifice. And now the Lord wants you and me to live to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now the Lord bless you today for his precious name's sake. can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all divine true and tender pure and precious 
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at 10.